0: Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. Uh, thank you, kids, and thank you, Abby. What a fun way to jump into Easter. I don't know if you all know this, but Easter, Easter is not a one-day celebration. It's not a one-day holiday. Easter is actually a 50-day celebration. So for the 40 days leading up to Easter, we call that the season of Lent. And it's 40 days of introspection. It's 40 days of prayer. It's 40 days to ask God, check my heart. Is there anything wrong? Is there anything that I need to fix or correct in myself in these 40 days? And then, when we get to Easter... We turn our gaze outward from ourselves to God's grace. God's grace and love, which is immense, which covers over anything that is wrong or wayward in our lives. And for 50 days, we gaze at God's grace. Easter is a 50-day celebration. So where I think people, you know, people often give something up. They give up chocolate or something like that in Lent. I think what we should do is we should take something up for 50 days of Easter. So I think we should have dessert every single day in Easter for 50 days within reason, within reason maybe. And you might be saying, pastor, I didn't give up anything in Lent. Can I still take up something in Easter? I won't tell if you won't tell, okay? So let's have some fun and every day find a way to celebrate in Easter. Throughout these 50 days, I want us to think about beauty. I want us to look for what is beautiful in this world, to focus on beauty in our world. In Dostoevsky's unfortunately titled novel, The Idiot, his hero, the prince, makes this absurd, stupid statement. He says in, in a courtroom setting, I believe that beauty will save the world. And everybody thinks it's a dumb thing to say everybody laughs at him and says, what do you mean by that? And he can't even explain what he means by beauty will save the world. And the Christians get angry at him and say, aren't you a Christian? Don't you believe God will save the world? And the prince says, yes, yes, that's what I mean. Beauty will save the world. God is beautiful. In Western society, we've often said that there are three major virtues in our philosophy. Virtues are those things that are good in and of themselves. They don't need defending. They don't need arguing. We just know them to be good. In Western society, we've often lifted up justice, truth, and beauty as these virtues that are good in and of themselves. But I tend to think, I tend to think that in our culture, in our world, we maybe have put beauty on the back burner. That we lift up truth and justice far more, and we leave art and beauty kind of in the background a little bit. I speak about this as somebody who volunteers to teach art in school only once a month. I think too often we leave what is beautiful behind, and we are more obsessed in our culture with truth. How did it happen? What happened exactly? We obsess about justice, making sure that things are right and equal and fair. But I think oftentimes I've seen people defend truth in really ugly ways that turn people off. I've seen people defend justice in ways that harm and hurt other people. And I wonder what is the beauty in our churches I think, depending on what tradition you've been a part of, maybe you've leaned more towards truth or justice. I think if you come from a more conservative evangelical background, you might be more geared towards truth. It happened this way in the Bible. This is the truth. This is what happened. If you come from a more progressive tradition, you might be more geared for justice, what God wants right in this world. Heaven on earth, make things right. But I wonder what tradition will champion beauty? What tradition will look to make these things beautiful, to lift up what God is doing in a way that inspires awe. When I talk about beauty, I'm not talking about um, superficial aesthetics, dainties, lollipops, pop music, although some pop music is pretty good. When I'm talking about beauty, I'm talking about those things that create a deep transcendent moment Talking about those things that create an awe in us, that bring about ecstasy, kind of like when you're doing something, even when you're listening to music or experiencing art, and you just kind of like get in tune with the music, get in tune with the art. When you're out in nature, when you see a sunset, as normal as sunsets are, they happen every day. Well, maybe not in the Northwest every exactly day, maybe we won't see one today, but they're normal but they're awe-inspiring and beautiful. That transcendence, when you hold a baby, transcendence. When you experience love and when you trust that somebody loves you, transcendence, beautiful. We need beauty in our world. The stories of Jesus' resurrection, I believe they are true absolutely. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I don't have a better explanation for the existence of the church for how this movement caught on fire and spread across the world. I don't have a better explanation other than Jesus must have truly risen from the dead. It's true. I believe the story of resurrection is just. It demonstrates God's justice. The ancient prophets asked God Are you a God of justice or not? Because when I look around, all I see are the evil prospering and the innocent dying. How can you be a God of justice when the innocent die? And so God calls his prophet Ezekiel. He says, let me show you something. Let me give you a vision. He takes him to what's called the Valley of the Dry Bones. And he says to Ezekiel, do you think that these bodies can live again? Ezekiel says, only you know God. And God gives him a vision of the dry bones coming back together, of ligaments and sinews coming back onto the bones, of flesh covering them, of life coming back from the dead. And he says, I am a God of justice. And whatever is lost to death is not lost finally to death. The innocent will rise. Death doesn't have the final say. And so when Jesus rises from the dead, it is a statement our God is just but more than just and more than true the story of the resurrection is beautiful as well this is why we have four Gospels tell it in a different way to inspire our hearts to capture our minds and so this morning I want to retell the story just a little bit for us this morning Jesus was crucified on a Friday in John's Gospel And on that day before the Sabbath came, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus quickly remove his body from the cross and place it into a tomb. Mary was one of the few disciples that stayed with Jesus all the way to the end. Earlier that week, Mary saw Jesus do the impossible. Raise her brother back to life from the dead. Complete her family again. She knew what this meant. That Jesus would be falling into a trap for her brother's sake. And she goes with Jesus all the way to the cross. He's buried before the Sabbath begins and Mary, being Jewish, goes into her religious practices. She followed Jesus, believing that he was gonna be the one to start a movement that would overcome the world, not through violence and oppression, but through service and love through beauty, peace. But all that was hung up when she witnessed him die. And as he laid in the tomb, she went back into prayer, back into Sabbath, back into a day where according to her rituals and customs and her spirituality, she should do nothing but be with God. Imagine how hard that would be right imagine how hard that would be that that would be you know anytime i feel anxiety anytime i feel stressed i gotta do something i gotta find something to do that wasn't open to mary on this day she observed the sabbath the sabbath is on a saturday if you didn't know and all the early church all the early christians were jewish and so they observed sabbath on the Saturday. The reason why we worship is because those worship on Sunday is because those early Christians said, we gotta celebrate Sabbath, but we also have to celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. Let's have another day off, and that's how you got your weekend. Thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you. And so, Mary gets up on Sunday. It's time to do something. And she goes to the tomb, not knowing exactly what she's going to do. I don't know what's going through her head. She's going to go check it out. She's brought some things to prepare the body. Maybe Jesus was buried too hastily. Maybe some things need to happen. She doesn't know what she's doing. And she gets to the tomb. (sighs) And horror upon horror, adding insult to injury, she sees that the tomb is open. What now? Isn't it enough that they've killed him? Have grave robbers come? Have somebody come and desecrated the body? What now? She bends down and looks into the tomb, stress, anxious, anxiety. She decides to run and go and tell the other disciples. She goes and finds Peter and John. John is the disciple who is named in John's gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. A little self-serving, but he does it so that we can put ourselves in his shoes, so that we can say that we are the disciple that Jesus loved. Mary goes and tells Peter and John, the tomb is is open, Jesus' body isn't there, I don't know what to do. Peter and John run to the tomb. John feels like he needs to say that he's the faster runner and makes it to the tomb first. (laughs) He gets to the tomb, tombs in those days would have maybe like a four foot door down descending into some stairs, and John runs to the tomb and he stops he doesn't go in. Why? Because John is Jewish, and because tombs are places of death, disease, and filth. They are unclean places. They are places where God's glory cannot go, and if you went into that place, then the death, the filth would get attached to you, and then you would be unclean, and you could not go into God's glory. You could not go to temple. You could not go to synagogue until you were ritually Cleansed, and so John, knowing that tombs are these places, places of darkness and death and disease, he stops at the tomb and he looks in. And then here comes Peter barreling and behind him, like get out of the way, John! And he dives right in. Peter doesn't care anymore. Peter has lost all decorum. He jumps into the tomb. John says, "Okay, if you're going, I might as well." John goes into the tomb, and what do they see there? They see. Jesus is not there. But it doesn't look like grave robbers took him. The clothes that Jesus was wearing have been folded up nicely and laid on the place where he was laying. Jesus makes his bed before he goes, I guess. I don't know. What a curious situation. And so Peter and John leave the tomb not knowing what to do next. Mary is left there. Mary decides that she's going to go and take a look. And so she goes to the tomb. She crouches down. And then she sees something strange. She sees two angels sitting on either end of the place where Jesus was laid. One at the head, one at the foot. What are they doing there? And then they ask probably the dumbest question in the whole Bible woman why are you crying have you not been paying attention angels what are you doing? why why is she crying look at what has happened her messiah her king her teacher her friend has been killed what's going to happen to her family what's going to happen to the movement does oppression and evil win why are you crying these angels are worthless The angels in the other gospels, they actually do something. In Mark's gospel, one is sitting on top of the tomb and says, hey, what are you looking for? You looking for Jesus? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Go and tell the other disciples. That's a good angel. That angel is doing their job. These angels, they just sit there asking a stupid question. What is going on? Why are they there? And I wonder if Mary, in her Jewishness, is recalling her ancestors, recalling the stories of her people, and maybe the placement of the angels means something to her, and maybe she thinks back to the Ark of the Covenant, that box that the Israelites carried that contained inside them the broken fragments of the Ten Commandments and some manna from when they were wandering in the desert. That box said to have contained the Spirit of God, and on either end of that box were two angels facing inward. And it is said that between the angels, God's Spirit resides, and from there, God blesses the world. And I wonder if... Maybe as Mary is looking into this tomb and she sees two angels on either side of the place where Jesus was dead, maybe she thinks, oh my goodness, God's presence is even in the places of the dead. That God's spirit and grace and love and beauty can be found even in the places that we think are ugly, dirty, disease-ridden, and full of death. That God's presence is in the places that we've abandoned to death. God is present in the darkest places. Beauty can be found anywhere. There's no place where God is not. At that moment, she gets a little tap on the shoulder. Excuse me, ma'am. She turns around and she sees Jesus. You and I know it's Jesus. The narrator tells us that it's Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. And Jesus repeats the same stupid question Woman, what are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she mistakes him for the gardener and says, If you know where they've taken my Lord, tell me and I will go and get him. I will wrap his body, I will do things right. I will give him the respect and the dignity of a burial. And then Mary hears the most beautiful words she's ever heard. Her name in the mouth of the risen Lord. Mary, it's me. And in that moment, she is filled with the transcendence, with the ecstasy, with the knowledge that death doesn't win. (laughs) that this movement isn't over, that God's kingdom of love and peace, which will overcome the world, has not stopped, but it has begun. Something new has happened. Death cannot stop this movement. Death cannot stop God. Death cannot stop us, and life and love is unlimited in Jesus Christ. She cries out, my teacher. She grabs a hold of him. Jesus says, all right, Mary, all right, we can't stay in this moment forever. There's work to do. Go and tell everybody. Go and tell everybody that Jesus Christ, who has died, is risen again, that every evil that this world has thrown at him has been absorbed and transformed into beauty, power, and strength, and that God's kingdom will not be stopped. Go and tell everybody. And Mary goes and tells, and because she told the story of the resurrection, you and I have heard it because of her. There's one more little piece that John is trying to get across to us. I don't know if you caught it, but it's a little bit of a metaphor that John is beating us over the head with. He tells us that Jesus was buried in a garden, risen in a garden, and then mistaken for a gardener. I wonder what John is trying to say. John's gospel also starts with the words in the beginning, alluding to Genesis, alluding to the beginning of all things. And in the beginning, there was a garden. There was a garden where humans messed up. And here in the resurrection of Jesus, there's a new garden a new creation, a new world has started. For anybody who has ever messed up, you can have a new start. For anybody that needs to leave the past in the past and start a new life, you can have that. For anybody that needs to leave an old world and enter into a new world, you can have that. A new world has begun in Jesus Christ and it is yours It is a world where beauty can fill every corner, where there is no dark place, no place of disease, no place of filth that God is too ashamed to enter into. A world where God's presence fills all things if we can see it and if we can join God in making it happen. So you are invited into this new world to join Mary, to join the disciples, to proclaim That God's kingdom is at hand, that not even death can stop it, and that we can be made new today, that eternal life is given to us. There is beauty in the story that I want us to capture. There is beauty in our world that I want us to be open to and to see. And so, hear the words of St. Paul as he tells the Philippians, whatever Whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything is praiseworthy or marvelous, think about these things. As you go into this world, look for the beauty of God that's piercing in every, every dark place in this world. Be the people of beauty. This is what it is to be resurrection people. As we wrap up this message, I, I want you to be thinking about a couple of things. I want you to, a couple of questions. I always like to end the sermon with a couple of questions so that you can kind of continue the sermon on your own. The first one was, do you know anybody who is sitting in a dark place? Do you know anybody who, who feels like the presence of God isn't there, feel like they're in an ugly place that's ridden to death? Perhaps God is calling you to be an angel to those people, to go and sit in the dark places with people so that people are not alone. God is calling you to bring light and beauty and love to people who sit in darkness, to be an angel, even if all you have to say are stupid questions. Your presence, your love brings light into those moments. Secondly, how can we bring beauty into our work of truth and justice how do we bring joy and fun art music into these moments into the work of truth and justice into christianity and then finally do you need a new start do you need a new world that is available and open to you today And so as we pray, as we receive communion, this is your opportunity to open to God and say, God, I need to feel the power of your resurrection. I need a new start. I need your love and mercy and your beauty to fill every corner of my life. I need to follow you. If that's you today, then in the prayers, in the communion, open yourself up to God and join this movement of beauty together. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425 Have a great week.